0: You are listening to Gangland Wire, hosted by former Kansas City Police Intelligence Unit Detective Gary Jenkins.
1: Well, welcome all you wiretappers out there. Coming to you from the studio of Gangland Wire. Kind of still recording in the middle of the, uh, the hopefully, hopefully on the uh, other end of the COVID-19 virus. We don't know uh and, and when you get this you'll know by now I've quit putting out two podcasts a week and gone back to one cuz hey the golf course has opened up and, and plus a lot of you a lot of you guys are going back to work too I understand you're not going to have real time to do that so uh so um, we have on the Skype for a YouTube video and uh we'll also do this as an audio podcast uh our good friend Cam Robinson from up in Northern Indiana. All of a sudden, I just had a brain fart on the name of that town up there. Munster, Munster. Munster. How could I forget that? Munster, Indiana. Just, just right out, the right outside suburbs, suburbs of Chicago. Actually, it would be called a suburb of Chicago, right? Wouldn't it?
0: Yes, we are. Uh, we are a Chicago suburb. I work in the city.
1: The other line, we have Mario Gomes, who has the MyAlcaponeMuseum dot I believe is it net, Mario? No, it's com com. Oh, it is dot com. Okay, my dot com, and and Mario, we well, kind of started corresponding recently. He's he's big on let's explode some of the myths about organized crime that a lot of people like to uh, to. Uh, use in the especially in the movies it makes it more interesting i guess for people for the the kind of the lowest comedy nominator that just wants to be entertained in a movie uh now don't take offense at that folks out there because i like to be entertained by those movies too i just also like to know that may not be the true story and i do like finding the true story mm-hmm. and mario has has made a career so mario's coming to us from montreal canada you might note a little bit of an accent uh but mario welcome Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Hello, Cam, and hello, Gary. Glad to have you here, brother. You guys on YouTube, you're going to notice we all have a a variety of hats on. Now, Cam has his usual snap ring hat, (laughs) kind of looks like a a gangster that I used to follow around in the 70s. They liked those hats like that. And and Mario's got his fedora. hat. Since it's Al Capone Day, I've got my more period uh, bowler hat on. I'll set on at a jaunty angle. (laughs) Sure.
0: <laughs> you gotta wear your
1: bowler at a jaunty angle, you know. <laughs> and, to the, and today and today's a special day today. So what what is that? It's a
2: hundred year anniversary that big Jim Colosimo was shot down in Chicago. Is it I mean,
0: really? I didn't realize yes. that. Yeah. Wow.
1: That was kind of the uh, the the end of the old the old school and the beginning of the new school. That's
0: right. That's that's when Torrio the man.
1: Yes, Torio. And that's so,
2: one of the myths that uh, that that's currently always talked about, even in books today, that Al Capone was part of that murder, which he was not at all. He wasn't even in Chicago at that time.
1: Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So it was uh, Johnny Torrio then? He was, kind of, he was the one that took in Capone, so he was ahead of Capone. Yes, because
2: funny enough, we can find out from newspaper clippings in the social section of the Brooklyn newspaper that Johnny Torrio... Was meeting up with Frankie Yale and Robert Mm -hmm. Vanella two weeks before Colosimo was murdered. So Uh, Torrio was hiring Frankie Yale to come down to Chicago and uh, nail him, nail Colosimo.
0: Yeah, yeah. I was. I always. That was. uh, Frankie Yale was the guy back then. It's such an interesting
1: connection, that Chicago New York connection that you don't really hear much talked about. Now, Frankie Yale was kind of Al Capone's boss and sends him out to uh, to Chicago, and and he gets his start in Chicago, and he's connected very closely to New York because of that. But then Al Capone kind of shuffles off the uh, uh, G- the Yale. Coil, shall we say, and and ends up actually being responsible for his murder in the end. So it's a uh, it's a really interesting little uh, series of events over the mm-hmm. years between New York and Chicago. Sure, you know I had a guy do a, a little video for me. I think it's funny as heck. I put it out on Facebook, and 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 he makes fun of New York. And uh, and so in a little thing of John Gotti and and uh, talks about how great Chicago's all business and, and New York's all play. <laughs> it is hilarious. I don't know, folks. Uh, I'll put that up again one of these days. You got to search my timeline. But it, it it is hilarious. My friend Ben Ellickson from Chicago made that up. Got he's got a voiceover for Gotti's uh, surveillance shot, and Gotti's complaining about having to use some kind of special bounce to to help uh, when he washes his clothes <laughs> and, and to, to maintain that <laughs> Teflon, yeah, yeah, the Teflon. Nod. So anyhow, let's get back to Capone, Mario. We don't want to get too far astray there. No problem. Uh, uh, just uh, Tell the wiretappers out there just a little bit about how you got into that and, and what you've got going today.
2: Well, it started back uh, when I was a youngster. I remember watching The Untouchables with Robert Stack, black and white TV show. And uh, fast forward to 1987, I saw a trailer on TV for a new movie, a remake of The Untouchables with Kevin Costner and, and Robert De Niro. So I said, mm-hmm. i got to go check oh, this out. Yeah, mm-hmm. i got to check this out. So... To really absorb the movie, I like to go by myself so that no one's talking to me and I can really
1: absorb what's going on. There's nothing worse than people asking, what did he just say? What did, ah! <laughs> I do the same thing. I love to go to movies. If it's an important movie to me, I go by myself. That's right. So
2: I'm alone. I watch and I completely absorb. Uh, Capone in there is only in a few scenes. But my God, what he showed, Robert De Niro showed me about Capone was like, this is a really intense person. I got to find out about the real guy. So the next day, I went to a library, picked up a book called The Bootleggers by Kenneth Alsop. I uh, studied it and I found it really interesting. The the characters are much more interesting than what I saw uh, on the screen. And also, I noticed that a lot of the stuff was made up in Hollywood. So then I bought another book. And then I read that, and that contradicted that book. And then I'm cross-referencing, and it doesn't yeah. stop.
1: 33 years <laughs> later, here I am. With a website and, and tons and tons of information about Capone. It's a great one. And, and it's easy to navigate, too.
2: Yeah, it started with one page. Ah. Back in the year 2000, 20 years later, <laughs> I'm up to 150 pages. 150 web pages.
0: I've been to your website through the years. I mean, it's, it's phenomenal, the information you have on there, Mario. It, it is just, just incredible what you've been able to gather and the documents and, and, and what you've been able to put up and, and put together. I, really, there's, there's nothing like it on there, it's just, just for compiling information. Like you say, it's just an online actual museum you can, you can visit, like you say, in your, in your, in your underpants, like you say. So. <laughs> <laughs> I
2: appreciate that, Cam, because a lot of people do email, and I don't only get positive stuff. I get like, why, you have no life?
0: <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> but i'm passionate about what i do
0: you know? yeah, absolutely you are. absolutely
2: uh funny enough i got a guy yesterday uh was doing a youtube uh story on al capone a professional youtube story and he he yeah. asked me for photos on al capone and i said listen i want to know what am i signing up for what's it about i don't want my name tied to something that the mm-hmm. information is all incorrect which mm-hmm. happens quite often. Yeah. So he showed me a bit of the script, and I saw that it was all wrong. A lot of mistakes, repeated myths. I yeah. told him, "No, I don't. I don't want to participate because there's errors in here." You know what he answered me? He said, "Oh, well, all our ver- all our info is verified by a PhD historian."
0: <laughs> but, but it was
2: wrong. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And one of those things that are wrong in there has been maintained for many, many years. And I'm going to divulge this week. I'm going to unveil it on my website. But you're the first one to hear about it. Uh, was Al Capone. The accepted story was that he was slashed back in the summer of 1917 at the Harvard Inn. Right. Right. And now, if you you know the story, he, he said to a woman that she had a nice posterior.
0: That's right.
2: Yeah. And the brother, Frankie Galluccio, went nuts. Well, now I just found out from uh, uncovering certain documents that Al Capone wasn't slashed at all at the Harvard Inn. Mm -hmm. It happened on 4th Street and Union, Union Street and 4th Avenue, excuse me. Mm -hmm. And Frankie Galluccio lived about 190 feet from that area. Mm -hmm. Al Capone lived about maybe five minutes from that area. So they crossed paths at that place. Also, the Harvard Inn was at Coney Island. We know that Coney Island from May to September was closed. Most of it was closed. It's winter time. The only club that's open is Stotches, which is publicized in the newspaper as being open all year round. But the Harvard Inn was just a small club and couldn't afford to be open. Also, I found out that Al Capone got stitched up at the Methodist Episcopal Hospital. Mm -hmm. And that's about... Five minutes from where that slashing happened. Really? Now, why would someone get slashed at Coney Island, which is like about two hours away, and go to a hospital that's two hours away? It makes no sense.
0: No, but Coney Island makes the better story. That's the shit I love, Mario. That's (laughs) bravo. Bravo. Really, that incredible bravo.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good one.
0: It's just an easier story to say, well, Coney Island, it's New York, it's boom, boom, there you get your story. That's bravo, my friend. Yeah. Yeah.
2: And, And people will say, well, what proof do you have? Well, we have a Brooklyn newspaper that mentions it December 9th, 1918, that the night before Alfonso Capone is attacked by two guys and slashed to the face. So here we go. Summer, here we go. Summer, of, yeah, summer of 1917 I don't think
1: so. Yeah, that, that's what we call primary source. Uh, anything that's written just about the time in a public document's written about the time that an event happened, you can pretty well call that a primary source. and that's what you, that's the gold standard for these kinds of uh, of his, this, this re- historical research.
0: Yeah, I mean that's that's how it's done very, very well. Very, well done.
2: Yeah, and Frankie Galuccio supposedly met up with uh, a historian author named William Balsamo, which yeah, I think you know, that's right? Okay. So Balsamo supposedly met him in 1965 at Lento's bar to ask him about the slashing. Mm-hmm. And he made him promise that I'll tell you the story but you promise me that you won't publish it until I'm dead. No, right. So Balsamo agreed. And now we find out with what I discovered that what uh, Galuccio was telling balsamo was like lies because he was <laughs> stating that yeah he had a little sister named Lena. Well, I did the the search and uh, the census shows that uh, uh, Galuccio had no little sister. He had two older sisters, one named <laughs> Teresa and one named Anna. <laughs> so there you go. There you yes. go. Very angle get... <laughs> I know for some people, but I like that. Stuff.
0: I, yes, I. <laughs> That's that's what I like. I that's and, and Gary will tell you that 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 research that digging those those details that are overlooked. That's and nobody through the years has ever verified that story. I've read I've read the excerpt. Gosh, you got to you got to swear to me you won't repeat this story to anybody. I still know these guys and blah blah blah. I, you know we've all read that excerpt,
1: but. That's way it's done. It's a lot of work, though, isn't it, Mario? You got to go to all those oh, sources it is. And different got sources. Oh, I, and I lost gotta, all my hair. <laughs> yeah. You got to have not only the time, but sometimes you, you like you have to have a, a paid subscription to newspapers dot com sometimes to get the good stuff. That it, which is the, yeah. the, the, the cheap one. I that's what I've had for a long time. Now I can get it through my library, which is pretty good. But you and or maybe you have to have the subscription to ancestry dot com or you have to make all these calls to the National Archives in different places and and or buy uh buy those uh Freedom of Information Act requests and all that. So it's uh, it's a lot of work and could and be kind of expensive. I spent a little money on those. Oh yeah, for sure.
2: And a lot of that stuff is missing too, when you you call in for like uh an autopsy yeah. Yeah. uh Stuff is pilfered and stolen and taken aside and shows up on auctions years later. Right. Like,
0: yeah. It it stands to reason a lot of the Hollywood stuff you know it's 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 a better story. It, it, it's changed after the fact, but it's also if you if you think about it, uh, the outfit and and a lot of guys in New York they had what what we what we know is the outfit now. It has come to formally be called the outfit. Uh, Nitty and all at Al had control had a decent amount of control over Hollywood at the time. And I imagine they could exert a certain amount of control, like when, when uh, they say, Roger Tui tried to sell his book and tried to sell his story, and there was some some uh, muscle flex to prevent that. And I wonder to what extent their control sort of prevented the more or less true stories from being made, if, if they exerted any sort of control, because... If, in, a lot of, in a lot of cases, as I'm sure you know, the, the truth is, is better than fiction. But if, if they said, well, we don't want to tell it that way, we'd rather tell it, you know, steer them to the left, then, then there's, there's fewer eyes looking at what's actually going on and paying more attention to the guy with the, t- with the Thompson submachine gun over here, when it's really two guys with a revolver and, and we're, we're not expecting the guys who are actually doing it. I, I think that there was probably some misdirection at the beginning that was led by the actual outfit guys who controlled Hollywood for a few years in the early 40s.
2: Sure, sure. Around that time, but I wouldn't understand why today it's got to be. What's the point? You know, really. Even the granddaughters, Capone's granddaughters, who I know, uh, are like, my God, another movie about him? Like, leave him alone. <laughs> I know, I know. Another
1: seventy-three book, another years, movie.
2: He's dead. Yeah, it's like, come on, seventy-three years, he's dead.
1: Like, leave him alone already. <laughs> you know that last one that Jonathan Eig did? Uh, it was a uh, that was a work boy. That was a heck of a. a, a Big book with lots of resources. He really put a lot of energy into that thing.
2: Yeah. Uh some stuff in there, like but what I don't understand is like when they say it's a secret plot against Capone. There was no secret plot against Capone. Uh the government was going after the gangsters for income tax way before Capone. They went after Torrio. They got Ralph Capone. Yeah. They sent them yeah, to prison. You know? They got Nitty. <laughs> Yeah, That's right. And they got Jake Gusick. Yeah. They got uh, Terrence no, Druggan a... the, the and uh, the other guy, his uh, partner, uh, uh, Frank Lake, they got hit them too for income tax, send them to prison. So that's why Capone was confident that he'd get the same amount of time like they did, which was like two years, five years the most. But uh, and he made a bargain with the government and the government turned around and said, no, no, the, the judge at the last minute, uh, Judge Wilkerson said, no, we're going to try you for the full extent of the law. Because the prosecutor, which was George E. Johnston, thought E.E.Q. Johnston thought, I'm not going to get this guy. I don't have enough infor- information on him. I don't have enough evidence. I'm probably going to get two years. So he was satisfied with that. It's the judge that talked them into no, go for, for for full full force ahead. We're going to get this guy, and they did get him for 11 years. That's insane.
0: It was. It was Judge Wilkinson that did the entire uh, jury flop, right? is that is that another that was that was, they they flopped the entire jury. Could you could you tell a story, Mario? is that I mean i've I've heard rumors, but I mean, is there is there much truth to that that story that they pulled an entire jury and flopped them?
2: Yeah, Judge Wilkerson, because uh, there was uh, some uh, like uh, Phil D'Andrea end up in court with a uh, 38 in his uh, jacket and the, he got caught by the bailiff. They sent him outside. He did time for carrying a gun in court, staring down the jury. So the jury was pretty intimidated. Then there was a letter circulating that one of the jury was bought. So that's why they switched the jury at the last minute uh, yeah. with a bunch of farmers and people that didn't know. Yeah, <laughs> didn't know. yeah pretty slick. <laughs> All they so, knew was poverty, and then they saw this guy spending money, like yeah. uh, $50,000 <laughs> on a beef bill
1: for barbecue. And that belt buckle, that diamond-encrusted belt buckle he had, boy, that one, that one got him. That would really, you know, when you're poor and you're scra- scrabble life, anyhow, barely can make it, and this guy's got this million dollar, not a million dollar, but a, a diamond-encrusted belt buckle, that's in silk underwear, that would be big. Big, yeah. big. Yeah.
2: That belt buckle was $250 each, and he gave like about 50 of them out to friends. And, wow. So that's pretty Back then, $250 was a lot yeah. of money.
1: Was it personal by uh, President Hoover? That's, that was one story that, that I heard that President Hoover said, let's go after this Capone. Mm-hmm.
2: It's true to a certain point, because what happened was uh, President Hoover, before he was president, was going over to J.C. Penny's estate, which was also in Miami Beach, it was right across where the Capone house is. No. So yeah. uh, in February, on February 13, 1929, right before the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, Al Capone was having a huge party for a fight that was about to happen, a boxing match between uh, Jack Sharkey and uh, Young Stripling, And Capone had a party there and it lasted like two, three days straight.
0: He wow. was having a the Biscayne Bay, right?
2: Yeah, a loud music, uh, drinking, <laughs> laughing and all that. And uh, they could hear that at the J.C. Penny estate. And I know because I slept at Al Capone's house uh, that uh, he had at Miami Beach. I, I, I knew the owner, so I slept there. Oh, really? And <laughs> I, I, yeah, I could tell you. It's not far away. And uh, it's no more there. The J.C. Penny house is gone. But uh-huh. the Capone house is still there. And so uh, J.C. Penny heard all this noise. And he saw Capone downtown, he encountered him and he said the uh, nice party you had there the other night and Capone told him, he said, yeah, he goes, I won't charge you for the entertainment. It's free <laughs> for you, What you heard. But if you ever want to come down, you could come over. He said, oh, did you know that I had the Herbert at my house? That's where he. Visited. He said, yeah, you could tell him to come on down. Too. <laughs> Capone really regretted that uh, statement later on. Yeah, he really. really it. He thinks that's what got him. Oh, really?
1: He, he figured the president took that personal and, and said, "Well, this arrogant sob, I'll, we'll show him."
2: There you go. There you go. <laughs> and I I know this for a fact because uh, there's this great memoir by a, a man named Harry Cyril Reed, who was a city editor for the Chicago American. Mm-hmm. Now, he had a friend named Danielle Cerretella, who was a city sealer for. Big Bill Thompson, who was a friend of Capone's. So, uh, Harry Reid asked, I want to meet Capone. I want to get the inside scoop. I won't divulge important things or things that could get him in trouble. I just want to meet the guy and I want to ask him a few questions. Would he be interested in meeting me? So, finally, he did get to meet Capone and he was friends with him for two years. He even went to Cuba with Al Capone. There's pictures of him taken with Al Capone in Cuba. And uh, he interviewed, me. he went to his house, took pictures of the famous uh, Al Capone in his bathrobe at his oh, Miami yeah. home. Yeah. And this is another myth. People see that bathrobe with a fishing pole on his, and they say, oh, he's fishing in this pool. He's nuts. No, this photo was taken back in 1930 before yeah. he was sick and demented. Mm-hmm. This was to show that he was a regular guy to the you know, public. That's all it was. Mm. Anyways, Harry Reid. He said that this was true, and he, he was with Capone on a boat, and Capone had stated to him, he goes, I made a big mistake when he saw the J.C. Penny house. He goes, I made a big mistake. And so Harry Reid asked him, what do you mean you made a big mistake? He says, well, uh, I met with J.C. Penny, and I told him, you know, uh, why don't you bring over Hoover and all that? And he goes, and I'm sure they're coming after me because of that remark. It got to Hoover. So yeah. there's your answer. It had something to do with that.
1: <laughs> Just part of it, though. Here's a question I've always had is how— did the outfit become named The Outfit? Did, did it start during the Capone times?
2: Yes. And the thing is, is that, no, Al Capone didn't sit around and say, okay, let's have a brainstorm. What are we going to
1: call it? <laughs> let's come up with our brand.
2: <laughs> no, what happened was, is that uh, Al Capone said, oh, well, they got their racket and this racket and our outfit. So he would say our outfit whenever. And he was talking with – uh harry Reid, like i tell you and he was saying mm-hmm. my outfit my outfit and his gang was also saying hey the outfit the outfit yeah. so it's our outfit it, it so wasn't brainstorming yeah it was just yeah. like that and it stuck
1: interesting interesting you always wonder about things like that and it's 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 like what's the what's a greek or a latin term su generis to chicago crime, organized crime family it's the only one that's known as the outfit although in kansas city I noticed a lot of FBI agents start, will refer to it as the outfit. I've never heard anybody that's, that's connected refer to it as the outfit, but FBI agents often refer to it as the outfit here in Kansas City. I think it's because we're so closely connected to Chicago.
2: Oh, yeah. Okay, that's pretty cool. I didn't know that. Another name that people ask me, uh, Snorky.
1: Why do they yeah. call him Snorky? Yeah. I was, I was going to ask about that.
2: The, the thing about being well-dressed is a load of baloney. Because uh, Harry Reid asked, asked uh, Ralph Capone, when he was alone with him, he asked him, he goes, why do they call him Snorky? He goes, I don't want to, you know, get into your family life or whatever. But why do they call him Snorky? He goes, oh, well, because when, when he sees a little kid, he likes to call him Little Snorky. And he was mm-hmm. calling his own son, Albert Francis, calling him Little Snorky, Little Snorky. So the other outfit members would call him Little Snorky, and they call Al Big Snorky. But then after, they, all of a sudden, they dropped the big. So it just ended up Snorky. Had nothing to do with being well-dressed. If you do newspaper searches for that time, you can confirm that there's other characters that were just named Snorky. It had nothing mm-hmm. to do with being well-dressed. It's just a nickname that they, they gave to children at, back then, you know?
0: Very good. What's something that really is there? Is there anything that's often repeated, or any certain performance, or anything that sort of uh, really sort of sticks in your craw? That that that, that kind of that is really makes you roll your eyes when you or what a question that you're asked constantly. What know, What are you confronted with most, or, or at, that is really sort of. Uh, gotten through you through the years. What's uh, what's what's the?
1: I have a few of them, but I'll I'll pick uh, a good one. Okay, how about the soup kitchen? Oh yeah, good one. Yeah, well, what about the soup kitchen? All right. I've seen pictures of people lined up in Capone's soup kitchen. Had nothing to do with Capone
2: at all, yeah. at all, at all. He's sitting in the apartment with Daniel seratella and Daniel seratella has he he has the first ward in Chicago. Mm-hmm. He's finding that there's many homeless, because it's depression time, coming from other states into Chicago, coming into his ward and going to these organizations for food and clothes and all that. Now, his constituents who really need it don't have it because these guys are flooding in his taking up the, you know. So what he does is that he figures, he goes, we got to open a soup kitchen so that the bums and all that that come from other states go and the homeless go eat there. And it leaves my con- uh, constituents, the other charitable organizations where they can go to. Yeah. So Al Capone said, yeah, okay, that makes sense. But also it's twofold. They figure, hey, we'll put your name attached to it and it'll make you look good. The only reason Daniel Saratella was doing that was to favor votes for Bill Big Thompson that was going in election. Because as soon as Big Bill Thompson lost the election, guess what? The soup kitchen's closed. That <laughs> was
0: That was. That was running against when he was running against Cermak or against Dever, Against Anton Cermak?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, it all has to do with votes. It, it, it had yeah. nothing to do with Al Capone. And you know what? Even during that soup kitchen, they were strong arming all the grocers to donate food. And uh, Daniel Ceratella got in trouble. He spent one year in prison and had to pay a fine for uh, uh, overcharging. Uh, because what they were doing, they were he was part of the city sealers and what that is, is that they, they control the balances and weights of food. Like when mm-hmm. you buy a pound of bologna, well, he was, they were overcharging and they were fixing the scales and underweighing the food. <laughs> and they, apparently, they screwed housewives out of $58 million around. I'm telling you. <laughs> Chicago. Not you in Chicago. <laughs> Chicago. All the ducks were <laughs> taken by Phil D'Andrea. Christmas ducks, you know, when they yeah. they'd go to a soup kitchen, they were served stew or whatever.
1: You know? <laughs> Let's, uh, I tell you what. Uh, one last thing, I want to talk a little bit about something I I stumbled across the the who really did the St Valentine's Day Massacre and and those and those guns that uh, they found in the end found they linked ballistically up to the submachine guns, at least one of the uh, Thompson submachine guns, and and they were also linked to the murder of Frankie Yale, which would tie right back to Capone also.
2: That's true, correct. And it was uh, done by the American boys. This was a branch of uh, Capone's uh, uh, gang that were uh, basically uh, St. Louis gangsters, which comprised of uh, Gus Winkler, uh, Fred Burke, Fred Getz. Oh, and by the way, one of the gunners, Fred Getz, during the St. Valentine's Day, the, the Valentine's Day Massacre, which was February 14th, of course, St. Valentine's. Yeah, course. <laughs> uh, guess when he was born. Fred Getz was born on February 14th, so <laughs> he was blowing out the candles. Happy <laughs> birthday. There you go. Happy
1: birthday.
0: <laughs>
1: well, that's interesting. They called that little crew the Americans. Did, did Capone, were they like a, just a crew that, that Capone had to do stuff?
2: Yeah, yeah. These guys were because they were doing holdups and kidnappings and Capone wanted to set them straight. He says, look, I'll give you a job. He goes, don't do that kidnapping stuff. It's just going to get us into trouble for nothing. There's enough business for everybody. Everybody can be happy here. And Capone, you got to say he was a fair boss. He'd hire anybody. He didn't care if you were what nationality you were, as long as you got the job done. That's all he cared. His biggest mistake, though, was... uh, outsourcing the job to other people to do, you know, while he went to Miami. Yeah. I mean, he should have took care of it himself, uh, really, because uh, he was methodical in his hits before that. But the St. Valentine's Day Massacre was a mess. Yeah,
0: like Joey a- Aiello. That was uh. about there.
1: drawing heat down on you. Yeah,
2: Aiello. Yeah, Aiello. Aiello, Aiello he yeah. He had, like, what, a pound of lead in him? There was three <laughs> machine gun nests waiting. <laughs> Only two for used, but there was three. <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah, he hated him. Oh, Capone hated Ayello. He hated Jack Zuda, which was another uh, associate of the North Side Mob. Uh, he hated those guys, and they got killed. Uh, the Capone mob got rid of them uh, expeditiously.
1: So, one of the same guns ended up uh, ballistically connected to the murder of Frankie Yale in New York City. Uh, what what was behind that?
2: Oh yeah, it was. Well, it was the same crew that uh, did the Saint Valentine's Day massacre. It was Fred Getz. There was. Uh, Fred Burke and Gus Winkler, they went down and they were shown around by uh, Louis Campagna. Campagna. They showed them around What New York where it was and uh, these guys rented the car and they went there and they shot Yale. And they only took like one bullet to the head, Yale. Everybody thinks that they machine gun, but you can put it on semi, aim and just shoot. Yeah. And that's what they did. They shot uh, shotguns and a machine gun, but just one shot, 45 yeah. to the head, now is it?
1: Now there, there is a cool, calm, collected killer. That's the dude that you want to hire to do your murders for you. Somebody that doesn't want to run around and spray everybody. That will be deliberate
0: and and Yo. take that
1: one good shot. That's I'm I'm impressed by that man.
0: Campania called his girlfriend or something from Chicago, didn't
1: he? Correct. I like Cam. He, he's really
2: yeah. Capone got pissed about that because here he is yapping to his girlfriend on the phone, and it got back to him. He says, "What are you doing over there?" You know. You should, you know, I told you to shut up, keep it cool, you know? Really?
0: Pitching woo on the job. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, you know, not, not, I love women, but my God, if you look through criminal life, they always somehow get you into trouble. Like I think of the lady in red. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. make the greatest informers in the world, man. I'm here to tell you that. I've used a few of them. It works. For <laughs> Sure. Dudes will brag in front of them, and then they'll turn around and tell me. <laughs> That's what I used to do.
2: <laughs> it was also the, the, the murder of Joe Howard, which happened this month. Would happened May eighth, nineteen 1924. That was Capone's first murder in Chicago. And uh, this low-level hood named Joe Howard, uh, he met with uh, the Tutorio Capone accountant, which was Jake Gusick. And he slapped him outside a gambling house, and he says, I want some money. Give me some money. Gusick told him I got no money. He goes, but look, come see Al, it'll give you a job. And uh, Howard said, I don't work for no Dago Pimp.
1: No.
2: Yeah, that's a big mistake. You know, <laughs> if you want, if you wanna piss off Al Capone, you remind him that about that he likes prostitutes, which is a no no. I mean Capone yeah. enjoyed it, but he hated the fact that he was doing that, you know, because he'd think of his wife and his kids and he'd come he said Anyway,
0: Catholic an guilt. Yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. exactly. <laughs> so, uh, Gusick went back to Capone, but Gusick didn't tell him about the Dago Pimp thing. It was somebody else that told Capone about it. Capone lost it. He goes, Yeah, where is this guy? The myth was that Capone went there as soon as uh, uh, Jake Gusick told him, went there, grabbed Howard, pumped six shots into his head. This is not true. Capone was smarter than that. He asked this guy named Tony Bagno, whose real name was James Russell Bagnolo, his name was Army. He missed. Uh, he was missing a left arm. He sent him go to Jaime ja- Jaime Jacobs' uh, saloon at twenty three hundred uh, Wabash, and he told him, "He goes, I want you to go down there. I want you to pay drinks all night to uh, Joe Howard. <clears throat> Get him nice and drunk." Yeah. So he did. He got him nice and drunk. Then he called Al. He said, "Okay, Al, he's ready." That's when Al went down there to that saloon. He said, "What did you do to uh, Jake Gusick?" He says, "Ah, go back to your day. Go, go back to your uh, girls. You dago pimp. That's when Al Capone pulled out his revolver. Five shots in the brain and one yeah. hit his uh, shoulder. All the witnesses got uh, Chicago amnesia."
0: What I love about that story is even before the, the Americans with Disabilities Act, Al Capone is doing his part for, for this guy with no arm. He's, 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 he's hiring people. He's giving people jobs who would have, who would have a hard time. He's just a, just a hell of a guy.
2: Yeah. Oh, he's a great guy. Oh, yeah. Uh, when I look at these movies, I go, my God. I mean, the guy was bad enough as it is. Do you have to? The new movie that's coming out, Al Capone shooting a Thompson while wearing a diaper yeah <laughs> i didn't hear that. That's, <laughs> that, me, that, that that's unbelievable you can't make that up can you <laughs>
1: no no it's like come on i, I know God. i'm gonna get emails in the following weeks is that true well it's it's always fun i i do like finding out the the real story though i appreciate what you've absolutely done, Mario, and,
0: and uh, i think absolutely uh, it's an incredible yeah, website i
1: think we need to have you come back on and talk and talk again i know you've got something that that you're sitting on right now that i find interesting Oh, another thing you know like what you wrote about they called these guys the Americans. well, I know that I know that's true, and here's how I know it's true. I interviewed an old mob guy who was really on his deathbed. He was in hospice, and I found out about him and, and I went over and talked to him, and he wasn't telling me any you know really deep, dark secrets, but he talked about when he was a kid, and he talked about some of the little things that they did. They used to like the 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 milkman's horse would walk from house to house while he would go deliver the milk at one house, and then the horse would go on down the street to the next stop, basically, and and then he'd walk on down and catch up with it and have to get back on. And I thought, you know, that sounds true. And, and he talked about how it was all these young Italians, and he said, and and we called you guys the Americans. Anybody that was, wasn't Italian, we called them the Americans, and you don't really hear that today. Uh, this is the first time I've heard this reference to the Americans. And I know, you know, back in the 30s, 40s, and 50s, they would have referred to anybody that wasn't Italian as the Americans, or you're an American.
2: This is one that really got to me, is that Al Capone was a cocaine fiend. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I've heard that. Yeah. Okay. So in 1932, there's a movie about Al- loosely based on Al Capone called Scarface.
1: Yeah. And then you got... The- modern scarface (laughs) okay his
2: name his name was tony camonte and the commodity was uh, alcohol fast forward to 1983 we have scarface with a cuban named tony montana selling cocaine so people that go see that movie say hey this movie did you know it's based on a 1930 movie about al capone (laughs) <laughs> so people that go see the and then it's said to another person, another person. Then all of a yeah. sudden, see the cocaine scene. They say, "Oh yeah, this movie's based on Al Capone. Oh, he did yeah. cocaine. He did cocaine." <laughs> so one author, one author goes to uh, through Alcatraz's archive and finds a uh, a file on Al Capone. And the uh, the psychiatrist says that Al Capone has a hole in his septum. Right away, this author gets another doctor to say, "Hey, it's true. hey, cocaine." And yeah, yeah. Yeah. So now Al Al Capone's a cocaine fiend. It doesn't matter that the number one cause of a hole in the septum is long-term syphilis. That we don't need to know. (laughs) Yeah. So so that's what blows my mind. I'd like to know when Al have the time to sniff this cocaine when he was with his wife, (laughs) if he was such a fiend.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Really? Plus that cocaine—I don't even know if they had like what we call modern-day powdered cocaine back then. They—they they had it in uh, liquids, I think. Liquid form. Exactly, hey Gary. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't think they had powdered cocaine, and they sure was long before they rocked it up into crack. So.
2: <laughs> and it's a known fact since he was a child that Al Capone had sinus problems. If you look <sighs> at his records, yeah, they used to call him Spaghetti when he was a little boy. You know why? Not because you know he was why? Italian. Because he, he drooled, his nose drooled over his lips.
1: Uh, oh, <laughs> you you know another thing. I I, I got we got to talk about one more thing. I've always been curious about that. He was a Neapolitan. He was from Naples,
2: correct? That's right. Angry. His family came from angry. A N G R I. Yeah. Okay.
1: And, and so, but yet all the Eastern mobs and and Kansas City too, the people are always from Sicily. So, but but how how do you think he became? You know, such a powerhouse. I guess was just off his personality when he wasn't even Sicilian, because I know these Sicilians they'll look down on the Neapolitans and the uh, Calabrians, and mm-hmm. they'll look down on them. That, that's correct. And you know what? He was almost done in by three Sicilians that were ready to
2: kill him to take over, and he took care of them when they had a banquet and shot and killed them: John Scalise, Albert Alsalmi, and Joe Junta they were planning to take over capone so and he still you know he was he was nice to sicilians he gave them jobs yeah i mean uh, yeah and you look at the North Siders, the Irish mob. They had one Italian guy. His name was Vincent Drucci, Jewish Sicilian. And he was with the North Siders <laughs> against the Capone mob. So, you know, yeah,
1: Chicago is is pretty well known for being inclusive. They they had a pretty good diversity program with the Jews did business with blacks and the uh...
0: that was kind of Torrio's policy. And then it's funny, Torrio retires and Torrio retires and goes east, and then all of a sudden, and he starts sitting with Lucky Luciano, and all of a sudden, Luciano decides well, let's, let's you know, all of a sudden he starts instituting the exact same policy that, that, that Torrio did in Chicago, right about the same time that, that Torrio starts coaching Luciano. He, you know, the whole thing that, that set up with the commission was the exact same thing Torrio did in Chicago, you know, 10 years earlier. And now uh, Luciano's got Torrio in his ear, basically teaching him how to create the modern mobs. So, I, I mean, Torrio's really the guy.
2: And funny, funny enough, what you say is that before he went to... Uh... Atlantic City for that conference, which was just a Chicago thing. It wasn't multinational. It was just uh, a Chicago thing to uh, make a deal with the, the Moran mob, not to open any more uh, dog tracks because mm. the law was coming down on them. Mm. But the funny thing is before that Atlantic City conference, uh, guess who's at Al Capone's house? And there's photographs of this and his granddaughters happened to have a film uh, oh, really? uh home movies yeah no sound old yeah. black and white home movies of lucky luciano oh, really? uh, you got ciro terranova Shh. and wow. frank costello hanging yeah. around al capone's pool right before oh, he we went done. to the yeah
1: oh
0: shit it just
2: really yeah.
1: happened i think i've seen a, a still of that on the, one of the facebook things of those guys on that pool I, I was, I, you know, I was doubtful. I, I forgot to ask you about that. I was doubtful about that. I thought, well, now, wait a minute. This is too good to be true. Here, put these guys together. But, but you know, that was Luciano and Costello. They were guys that wanted to do business in, in a more business like manner and make deals and relationships and, and, you know, set out territories and rather than going out and killing people and trying to, to uh, just take everything over.
2: Yeah and uh, you you see that you know like uh, Al Capone said look I got my thing they got their thing that's what yeah. it was Capone was big he was multi uh, r- racial you know like he, he didn't care who you were as long as you got the job done that was uh, that's all that mattered and I think Luciano and all these guys saw the profits they were making so pretty good 105 million dollars in 1927 I think that's pretty impressive Yeah and mm-hmm. that's yeah and that's another myth people think that oh Al Capone made 105 million dollars? No, the outfit made 105 million dollars.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah, Capone made 10 million dollars and he blew that like water. That's why he was broke at the end, you know. Yeah. Uh the money dried up. I mean, uh but back then 10 million dollars is like 150
1: million today. <laughs> really? Yes, a lot of but money. There you back, go. Especially that's back
0: then. Of, <laughs> that's a lot of money today. Yeah, but there was hell, even more. Yeah.
1: <laughs> All right, Mario, this has been great. We're going to do this again, okay, one of these days?
0: Absolutely. Absolutely, okay, and
1: I'm sorry if it wasn't that great because my first time on Skype. I didn't- oh no, no, this has been great. This has been great. When I when I get this up, I'm going to go ahead and put this up a little quicker. And I might have I've got a whole bunch of them in, in the bank, shall we say? But I'll go ahead and get this edited and probably put it up in a week or so. And I'll send you links uh, uh, to the both the YouTube and the uh, audio podcast too, because it'll I'll go up both YouTube and audio. Yeah,
2: I do have one more gift for you. I mean, okay. I thought. I would break the news here first. So did you know what Al Capone was doing from 1916 to
0: 1918 in Brooklyn? No, I don't. What's that?
1: No, everybody thinks he was like murdering, robbing. No, you know, I figure he was like being some kind of a gangster going around beating people up.
2: (laughs) Al Capone had a baseball
1: team. Oh, really?
2: Yeah. He played in a semi-pro baseball team. Uh, In 1918, he had his own team called the Al Capone Stars.
1: I'll be darned,
2: his in bro- New York. Yeah. yeah, his brother Ralph was in it. And guess huh. who else was playing on the team? Charlie Fischetti.
0: Fischetti, Charlie. The cousins. brothers.
2: Uh-huh. Yeah, the cousins. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, they played baseball. Huh. His ro
1: his, Ra- his brother Ralph that got him into baseball. Huh? Wow. And, and you know, back then, everybody played baseball. There were town teams all over the place. That was, mm-hmm. that was a big deal. It, it doesn't surprise me, because how old would he have been, uh,
0: 190 what was he, oh, five, yeah.
1: 17, 17 or 18 years old. And
2: then in 1918, he was 19, and uh, he played one game on June 6, 1918. He beat the Lockport ACs. He was the pitcher, and he striked out 15 batters. oh Really? Really? Wow. Pretty awesome. (laughs) There was 3,000 people in attendance.
1: Wow! Yes, you you got that out of uh, uh, sports section out of a local newspaper, a Brooklyn newspaper. That's correct. That's wow. correct. wow, that's Bravo. pretty cool. Bravo. That, that is something. That, yep. you know, Bravo! As Cam <laughs> okay, would say, that's that's quite a find there. I'd I'd like to see the look on your face when you pulled that up, start seeing his name in the Because <laughs> <up. laughs> I know that feeling. You find something like that's like all oh, right, and nobody's nobody cares. You know, you look around. You're there, the only one. and care. It's like. And I don't have a PhD. Yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't count. Yeah, so, it's, it's a hard work is what counts.
2: Most of my information doesn't only come from people I know, uh, relatives. Most relatives don't know anything because you know why? Yeah. You weren't allowed to speak about Al Capone right. around the house. They didn't talk. They come to see me and ask me, what do you know? And sometimes the best information I get is from someone that doesn't know anything about this, but they have one little piece of information that leads me to something else, to a book, to a document.
1: And this is where we are. Yeah. Interesting. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Talk to you later. Bye. Well, all right wiretappers that was really interesting and that whole thing about the al capone playing on the baseball team that is that is fascinating and this guy's got uh, hes going to put it out on his website so you need to start taking a look at his website i don't know exactly when it's going to come out i don't think it's up there yet he had told me that he, he had something like this and i didn't think he was going to even talk about it today but he did uh, so that was that was a fun interview uh, mario gomes of myalcaponemuseum.com. It's a Montreal-based Capone researcher, and and he only puts up the real stuff, and he can back it up from uh, primary sources, as they say in the research game. If you're a veteran and you believe you have problems that might be PTSD connected to your time in the service, call your local vet center or local veterans' hospital. If you don't have one of these around, you're out in the country or something, or you don't want to go into some place, there's a national hotline, 1-800-273-8255. Be sure and press 1 if you're a vet. There's also a website that has a lot of resources on it, www.ptsd.va.gov. So, folks, we're kind of winding down at the end of the COVID-19 as far as it's still going to be around, but they're opening the country back up, and I don't know, you know, I just... It's been it's <laughs> it's been a test. As, as you guys know, I'm I'm gonna cut out that extra podcast. If we if we lock back down big time, While well, I'll start throwing them back in and I won't be able to go out and play golf again either then. I I gotta start playing golf, man. They've pretty well opened up the courses around here. You have to walk mostly. Um uh, but that's good for me. Uh, don't forget to hit up my Venmo app, buy me a cup of coffee or a shot in a beer, it's Gangland Wire. I've got my two movies, Gangland Wire and Brothers Against Brothers are on Amazon for $1.99 for rental. Be sure and go to the other purchase options to get the SD version. It's really no different than the SD version and the HD version. It doesn't look to me like. I've got my book, Leaving Vegas, How FBI Wiretaps Ended Mob Domination of Las Vegas Casinos. Oh, and one more thing. My friend Dan Bashford from Down Under Reminded me or advised me that I have not been saying anything about going to my donation page. I do have the shop page, which you can use a credit card or PayPal and make a donation. And for a $25 or above donation, I'll send you uh, rewards out. Like for 25 bucks, you get either one of my movies or my book. And I bid you adieu. Good night, folks. <laughs> Music provided by our good friend and super fan from Portland, Oregon, Casey McBride. Thanks, Casey.
0: Uh, There's a guy up in uh, uh, that does Milwaukee. I've I've mentioned to you before, he's a young guy. He's not that he's not that guy, uh, Wayne, that's Wayne Klegman or whatever, but he's He's a guy that's gotten all the uh, Freedom of Information Acts for everybody up in in Milwaukee. It's Gavin yeah, something. I'll you send you see. his information. Yeah, I'll I'll send you his stuff. He'd be good to do.
1: All right. Well, I'll uh, I'll get this. Um, I'll probably start editing on this and get it up a little sooner. I, I didn't think he was going to tell about the baseball thing. He didn't. He wasn't going to. He was going.